I'm Mari Campbell-Jack, and you are listening to True Crime Fiction, feeding your addiction for the best of the written and the spoken word in crime. Hi, listeners. This week, we have a special bonus episode for International Women's Day, and I am chatting with author C.J. Cooper about women and crime. Welcome to the show, C.J. Thank you so much, Mari. It's lovely to be here. And uh, just before we get in to our conversation, do you want to just sort of keep us abreast of what's been happening with you since we last talked to you, which is almost a year ago now? I've, I have to say, during lockdown, I might not be the only person who's experienced this, but my sense of the passage of time is not good. So <laughs> I know that things have happened, but quite how long ago they happened, uh, I'm not sure. But where I am now, which is exciting, is that the book that was once called The Verdict and is now called Lie to Me is coming out in paperback in May. Yeah, just getting ready for that. And uh, the cover has changed that if people have bought The Verdict and then go, oh, there's a new one and discover that it's in fact the same as the one they've already read. I'm, I'm very sorry about that. So I'm trying to be as clear as possible in all communications that it is the same book, just with a different title and a different cover. So it's kind of like a remastered podcast episode. It's all the same content, but a bit more swanky. Exactly. So I think um, the uh, the issue with the previous cover title combo was that perhaps it's a bit too much like a courtroom drama. And, there, you know, there are elements of courtroom in it, um, but it is much more a, a psychological thriller. So that's what the new cover and title is intended to convey. But very importantly, does that mean the first one is going to go up and be more valuable in price? Oh, yes. No, no doubt. So if you've, if you've got one, these will be like gold dust. Yeah, there are a very limited number of those uh, C format versions of the verdict out there. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it could be an investment then really at the end it, of the definitely, day. Definitely, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, when I'm the new Agatha Christie, you'll, uh, your descendants will be selling it for millions of pounds. <laughs> Let's hope so. That would be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> wouldn't it, Charles? That'd be amazing. I thought and it's International Women's Day, it would be really interesting to discuss women and crime. I'm always really, really fascinated by women and crime. And in all your books have a lot of women in. There are male characters, but the protagonists, the people who have the agency and who act, tend to be women. And they're not always nice women either Mm. some of them are very very difficult so this is a subject we're both interested in so I thought what I would do is I've picked out four quotes from books I've read about women in crime and I wanted to kind of get your reactions to them and maybe discuss what they're saying a little bit so the first quote I have is from Tori Telfer who wrote Lady Killers and she's actually one of my favorite writers out there on uh non-fiction women in crime mm. and that's i think partly because she's one of the few people out there writing non-fiction about women in crime and for mm. listeners she also has a podcast called criminal broads which is really excellent if you want to access a bit more of her work people have endless tricks up their sleeves for softening the violence of the female dehumanising female serial killers by comparing them to monsters, vampires, witches and animals, eroticising them 
until they feel safe. That's really interesting, isn't it? I think there's a lot of truth in that as well. That would be my immediate reaction to it. So it feels like there are two things that she's talking about that go in there. So the the, the dehumanisation of, of women as monsters and then the sexualization of women as erotic objects feeding into violence. Women are definitely seen, it feels to me, as, as being different in some way if they are guilty of a crime or we're so used to portrayals of women as gentle nurturing passive coming across a woman who is absolutely the opposite of all of those things seems to really challenge challenge us in quite a fundamental way and so then you need to find ways of explaining how can this be when uh, when women are supposed to be so different that there are these women behaving in this way those two explanations or the two ways of doing it are, are quite helpful one is kind of the, the sort of the trope of the erotic, sexually ravenous, pacious woman who uh, absolutely the um, the siren luring men to their deaths, which seems always to be a kind of a reflection of men's some men's inability to control their sexual urges and therefore to blame women for provoking in them something which they cannot um, seem to to manage. Um, and so obviously it is the woman who is deliberately and willfully luring them with her her sexual I don't know sexual characteristics that's a terrible word and you, you wouldn't imagine I'm a writer would you they're luring them by just existing like I'm not yeah. oh <laughs> you know absolutely wantonly existing in the same space absolutely I mean this is, might be a bit of a tangent and, and forgive me here but actually I, I went out for a walk the other night um at about eight o'clock in a park and uh I was struck, it was dark because it's this time of year. Um, there, there is lighting in the park, there's lighting along the walkways. Um, I saw not a single woman in the park the whole time I was there. There were several men walking and running. And I did see a woman as I was walking home again who was walking her dog adjacent to the park. Um, but that kind of, I mean, it felt like we've almost been expected to remove ourselves from particular spaces at particular times and to do otherwise is somehow transgressive so I mean maybe that ties into that kind of sense of you just by purely existing in a particular place at a particular time then you are making yourself either available or vulnerable and I guess in the case of um, the female victim of crime then you're vulnerable and uh, the trope of the the siren the femme fatale you are available and then the dehumanizing thing uh, alongside that the only way you can understand women who are so different from society's expectations of them is to suggest that they're not even human actually there's some kind of aberration therefore fascination but they're not real people you read the five by Hayley Rubenhold I haven't no absolutely well worth a read Mm. if you're interested in the intersection between feminism and true crime so what she's doing is she's looking at the five uh, victims of Jack the Ripper because they for a long time have been called prostitutes and that's the only kind of label they've been given there's actually whole life stories and narratives for these women they're very much more than just prostitutes because she's kind of giving them personality in their own narrative mm-hmm. rather than just being part of the Ripper narrative. But she also talks about how prostitution was defined. There was a case quite late on in Victorian days when they decided to change the definition of what a prostitute was because mm. for a very long time it had been a woman who would be out on her own after dark. I think it changed not because people suddenly thought this is wrong, but because mm. there was a woman who was, I think she was a shop worker and she just wanted to go for a walk after work like we all do 
on a very regular yeah. basis and she got arrested for going for a walk being on her own wow. in the evening wow. and it went to trial <laughs> so after that poor woman went through a trial that they kind of went maybe this yeah. is a silly law and I think that kind of shows how culturally deep the perceptions mm. of where you can and cannot be as a woman actually yes. run. And I think when you have things that are that culturally deep, they're not going to get overturned quickly or easily. Yeah. It's probably going to be a little bit of work by every generation. So I, a few days ago, I went and picked out these quotes. And I really like this one from Telfer because there is a huge problem, I think, societal-wise for us to accept women's violence. But I was laying in bed the other night and I was thinking, when I think about it, though, you do get male serial killers who get called monsters and vampires. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And you do get them called after animals as well. And yeah. also eroticized. If you think about the way people react to Ted Bundy and uh, Richard Ramirez, there is a lot of people who kind of see them almost as this sort of inverted sex object. I think the only thing there, which I thought you don't get male serial killers having this as well, was witches. When men are magic, they're like wizards and sorcerers and, mm-hmm. you know, really, really powerful, whereas witch still has a lot of negative connotations around it. There's part of me that I think Telfer's right in this, in that we are very uncomfortable with women serial killers and mm-hmm. we do have to make them other. But I'm not sure it's gendered. I think there's other yeah. things very gendered in the fact that female serial killers are not made a focus in the way male serial killers are. Mm. I can only think of two films I've ever seen about female serial killers, whereas I, I don't have enough hands to count how many I've watched about men. They're not recognised in the same way. So I find myself in a bizarre position where I'm actually advocating for us to recognise the contribution of women to serial killing. (laughs) Women can do anything, including serial killing. Unless we recognise that we all, whatever our our sex, have a fully rounded set of characteristics, both positive and negative, including the capacity to do harm, then we're all kind of dehumanising ourselves to a certain extent, whether that's on the basis of, of sex or whether it's on some other kind of basis I mean I do agree with what you're saying I mean I think that thing about othering serial killers (laughs) is definitely uh definitely applies to both men and women because those that that behavior is I think probably genuinely for most people quite unthinkable that makes empathy very very difficult and and perhaps you know not not something you would want to put the effort into you know why want to empathize with somebody who's done such such terrible things and so labeling them is is uh, an easy and natural response i think it is because they are terrifying the fact that there are people who can not just commit such horrific crimes but enjoy committing such horrific yeah. crimes and will carry on doing that until they are actually physically stopped there's no cure for this that mm-hmm. is actually really quite terrifying to hold in your consciousness as a reality about the world i think I feel that with crime and true crime, one of the things we enjoy about it is that it helps us feel as though our world is more ordered. You know, the person gets caught, the right mm. people win through, and that gives a nice sense of safety. But I think the serial killer creates so much chaos. There's little safety that you can have around them, and therefore maybe labelling them 
in slightly mythological ways mm-hmm. like, it's the way that our minds are able to cope with the fact that you know the world isn't ordered it, they don't always yeah. have happy endings to every story yeah absolutely that kind of comes on to a quote i have here from rachel monroe who has written about stories of women crime and obsession so she has um mainly written this book about why women are so obsessed with true crime some women love just all of true crime some people become very obsessed with particular stories and it's a Mm. really really interesting book and she says true crime stories we can talk about the violence that's been done to us or to people we love and we can tell difficult truths and work through our anxieties these accounts of the worst parts of the human experience open up conversations about subjects that might otherwise be taboo fear abuse injustice and rage i mean that brings us on really to kind of almost the nature of female friendship which is a a, a whole other topic in itself really and we know what why do women talk about what they talk about and who do they talk about it with? I mean, I think whenever you read any part of the reading experience is getting inside the mind of the people you're reading about and experiencing, you know, feeling some of what they feel and sharing some of that. I think it's almost impossible to do that without relating it to your own experience mm. some way, whether you do that consciously or unconsciously. I'm just thinking about my own experience, actually, of discussing books in a formal setting in book clubs. And I think I mean, I, in my experience, a lot of the book clubs that I've been part of have been uh largely female and uh, i would say probably 80 percent of the conversation has been about the motivations emotions of the characters and their behavior and whether you personally would behave in the same way in those circumstances i think that's much more than than say you know uh, more academic conversation about the structure of the book Mm. or the use of the language or the metaphors or any of that i mean that you know that that gets covered too but i think the the vast majority of the conversation the thing that people seem to be most interested in probably myself included are those questions about so you know how would i how would i respond in this situation and i wouldn't i mean i wonder whether that is uh, as she says you know part of the attraction of crime fiction is that it does allow you to go into those darker places and Mm. to think about that and um, perhaps open the doorway to conversation conversations that you might not feel comfortable in having I think it's easier to have the conversation in a more abstract way when discussing books so maybe that's kind of a gateway point to getting into more of those personal conversations I mean I tend to to find that women I think are generally a bit more open about talking about those things that are important to them even if they are difficult as long as it's you know somebody you have a close relationship with so if I think about my husband for example I know that the only person he would probably talk to about things that are really bothering him I hope but I know he talked to me about them I don't think he would talk about them with anyone else actually whereas if I think about my female friends and relatives I think they would probably have a number of people that they would feel comfortable in talking things over with and would be more ready to have those conversations but for me, part of the, the attraction of uh, true crime and crime fiction is, as you were saying earlier, it allows you to explore some of those darker themes, but in a kind of structured way. And you can put your book down and look around your room and feel grateful that you are where you are and that actually none of this stuff is happening to you. Or you can equally think there are some parallels to things that I've experienced and I can see them in a slightly different perspective because of what I've been reading about or seeing. 
I, I always think with crime fiction, there's always the possibility that some of the readers just like a puzzle. Particularly if you go back to kind of like golden age of crime, a lot of it was like another way of doing a crossword or a Sudoku yes, or whatever absolutely. it is. No matter how much you're into the story, there's always a tiny little part of your brain is going, aha, but he said this in chapter two and then she said that in chapter three. And yes, where did that hammer go? <laughs> so I, I think like particularly in the golden age, it was it was much more about a puzzle, but I think we have moved in crime to being much more fascinated by the psychology and the motivations that are mm -hmm. behind mm. it. And I, I do think you're right. I think maybe in some ways men are not as open to talking about emotions. And I don't want to make a big generalisation, but it, it is quite well known that men sometimes need a lot of help to open up. They're just not socialised to hold sort of friendships in the same way as women are socialised mm -hmm. to. But that makes me wonder, then surely we wouldn't we have more men interested in true crime because it would allow them a safe space to explore those anxieties. I don't know what the demographics are, actually, in terms of the true crime readership. So last time I read, which was a few years ago, hmm. it was like 70 to 75 percent women. Really? Gosh. Yeah. There was a huge amount of navel gazing around this. Like at the time, there was loads of stuff, comment pieces and stuff coming out going, why are women so interested in crime and like doing a lot of kind of why are they so interested and I was like I actually think the bigger question here is why do you think that's unusual yes it's totally normal for men to be into war stories nobody mm. sees that as a weird thing so why is it unusual and most men don't go to war now <laughs> You know. I mean, I suspect that the demographics for reading military history are the other way around. But I don't know that's the case. I mean, it would be interesting to know, wouldn't it? It is a very particular female genre. But then I guess like 60% of all books are bought by women. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. So and even when 60% of all books are read by women, again, that might be a slightly out of date stat, you would still find books which dealt with women's subjects as being uh classed as chiclet and kind of oh, down on yes or even you know even 50 shades of grey in that terrible term mummy porn how offensive i've never read them i don't want to read them uh, yeah that's just not going to be part of my oh, life they're great i'm happy to say it and say i love them but mummy porn is kind of a denial of, of women's sexuality isn't it you know it's we're bit belittling why in that sentence do you have to privilege the fact that they're mothers as well? It's almost like, because we don't think of mums or mummy. When you say mummy, that for me really evokes women who have very small children as well. Um, mm -hmm. Not, you know, people who might have grown up adult kids. It's not really allowed for you because you're a mummy. And so you should be spending your time baking instead, presumably. I mean, who knows? Who yeah, knows, you but... can have a sexuality and have small kids. It's something that's quite quaint and laughable. I find it interesting because I don't think there's any other business model where you would sort of look down on and denigrate your main section of customers. Astonishing, isn't it? Absolutely. The seriousness with which lots of mainstream commercial male authors are, are taken in, in contrast with the attitude towards female authors also writing commercial fiction is just yeah it's it's very marked I think I 
saw Lee Child being interviewed on Hard Talk. I would be interested to see Millie Johnson being interviewed on Hard Talk. Um, or, you know, I just don't think it would happen. Oh, so this is, um, it's a very late night um, TV news programme, documentary programme, which is self-consciously terribly serious. It has a senior Palestinian politician talking about the um, the situation in the Middle East, um, but it also occasionally has people who are writers or cultural figures of one kind or another. Um, in the interview with Willie Child, it was quite interesting, I would say. Um, I mean, that the interviewer started off by asking him, you know, why is a good writer he didn't write better books or more, more serious books? <laughs> Which, wow, that's a great. real question to lead with. Yeah, which I thought was brave. I mean, he handled it very well, I thought, and said, you know, if it were if it was so easy to write uh, commercially successful novels, uh, lots of arty writers would just write one, set themselves up for life, and then go back to uh, to literary fiction, which no one read. But the fact that he was, you know, he was on there and being treated uh, with the, as a as, you know serious author, albeit one who was writing commercial fiction, he was still seen as a, fig- a serious literary figure in a way that I don't think female commercial authors are. You'll probably find clear that the problem is that women just don't watch serious programmes. Oh, yes, absolutely. No, I mean, I don't know what what happened. I must have been switching over uh, after watching a recorded episode of EastEnders. (laughs) We're never interested in politics. We don't need to know what's happening in the Middle East. (laughs) And for for listeners, um, Claire and I have both worked our adult life in politics, which is how we know each other. So we are being very tongue-in-cheek. I'm going to move on to the next quote. And this is from a woman called Anna Motz, who wrote The Psychology of Female Violence. So for readers, I'm going to put all the books that I'm mentioning in the True Crime Fiction shop if you want to check them out. And if you do buy something from the True Crime Fiction shop, the proceeds go to support independent bookshops and the podcast. So, you know, if you hear of any of the books and you do think I'd like to get that, it'd be cool if you could get it from the shop i'll put the links in the show notes so anyway animals i love this book i've not yet finished it because it's a really hard read because it goes into a lot of really awful stuff i kind of need to read a little bit at a time so it's probably going to take me about two years to finish i love how she talks about female violence and it's very much accessible for lay people who are not sort of clinical psychologists and into that conversation and the, the vocabulary around it. So the quote I've had from Anna, it is also essential to recognise the violence committed by women. It is also essential to recognise the violence that is done to them through the denial of their capacity for aggression and refusal to acknowledge their moral agency. Oh, I so agree with that. I couldn't agree with that more. God, nail on head. I think I think that's absolutely right. It, it also continually paints women as victims in a way that is just unhelpful and unhealthy. I mean, of course, women can be victims of, and are disproportionately victims of sexual mm. violence. Of course, that's true. But at the, at the same time, I mean, I don't want to think of myself as just a potential victim. I'm an empowered person who is perfectly capable of being a shit as well. Um, and I, you know, I, I want to own that capacity. And uh, and just, you know, be, women may well be the most physically weak species, but there's not a man on earth who doesn't have to close his eyes and goes to sleep. We forget that and, uh, <laughs> and then forget that at their peril. <laughs> 
in in one of the books i think it might be savage appetites i can't quite remember which one it was they talk about how poison which has traditionally been a woman's weapon partly because there was a lot of poisons available in the home and most crimes are crimes of convenience rather than necessarily being planned out they used to talk about how poison was a really cowardly way to off somebody with the implication being that it's much more manly to kind of i don't know just stab them right in the front so they know what's happening and they can respond and in the book she talks about how poison is actually not cowardly at all because you have to sit beside that person every day while you're poisoning them and that takes an awful lot of backbone and an mm. awful lot of steel in your soul malice really you you would think to to watch that and i mean obviously depending on the circumstances but um yeah to kind of watch those effects and know that you're responsible for them and keep doing it yeah so if you look at say bell guinness who is a female serial killer american norwegian she poisoned her husbands over oh, some of them over quite a long period of time and that takes a real forethought a real determination real tenacity again it's sounding like i'm admiring female serial killers which no poisoning is wrong but <laughs> it's to be clear. <laughs> yeah just to be clear but i didn't think it was cowardly it's, it's interesting to see how even male and female ways of committing mm -hmm. a murder get put into this this is a good way to do it this is the bad yeah. way to do it i mean i can see where that idea comes from on a, on a superficial level you know that you you are doing something to somebody without their knowledge they won't know that it's you they can't respond with because they don't know who their attacker is but also i mean yeah absolutely reflecting on that and and the reality of what it would take to actually commit that crime uh, I mean, I don't wonder if, if you know what what the right vocabulary is. I mean, I think as you say, it, it, it's determination, it's tenacity, it's single mindedness, an ability to kind of close off any empathy for that person and continue to do what you're doing. Yeah, so serial killers are famous for being able to compartmentalise. So mm. there is an amazing feat of compartmentalisation, which I know I wouldn't be capable of. <laughs> to get back to the Anna Motz quote, one of the things I love about the work she does in the psychology of female violence is allowing women full agency for being violent. And she says that very often male violence gets turned outwards, whereas female violence, I think, Violence and anger are maybe slightly interchangeable in this conversation just now, but female anger and violence gets turned inward. So very often women will harm themselves or their children before they're about to go out and harm a stranger who they choose to pick off the street, which in one way allows female violence to go unnoticed because it's in the private sphere rather than the yeah. public sphere. And that whole kind of thing about that, that that's the female space, that is the area that you occupy, and provides that seclusion and that cover. Gosh, I hadn't realised that was the case, actually, about female serial killers, that that was often the pattern. It's probably not true for every single one of them. If you think about someone like Lena Warnos, she very definitely had a much more male pattern in her killing. I'm not even sure if we should really call it male patterns or female patterns, to be honest. Yeah. I'm not fully comfortable with that. But for a lot of people, Aileen Morinot will be the only serial 
killer who's female that they know of. I think part of that is because she had a more male type pattern in her killing. Whereas there's probably been a huge amount of female serial killers who've never been caught because very often they are angels of mercy. So they're nurses. They're looking after people in old folks' homes, and particularly in the Victorian days where nobody had a license. You just set up a home it seems. Or it was children who, again, in older days, children died a lot. It was probably quite easy to cover up. So I think it could well be that there are as many female serial killers out there as men, but because Mm -hmm. their killings are in a different sphere and in a different way, then they're just not recognised. Yeah, that their work goes unacknowledged. Kind of leads me on to the last quote I have, which is from Female Sexual Offenders Theory, Assessment and Treatment. It is a very academic piece and like a lot of academic stuff, it's very expensive. Um, but one of the reasons I wanted this is because I want to look more at women in, in crime, but not just murder quote I have chosen is criminology neglects the criminality of women and has led to the application of male explanations to apparently similar behaviors in women. In addition, feminist perspectives have concentrated exclusively on the role of women as victims. One of the greatest contributions of feminism has been the recognition of the effects of sexual abuse on female victims, especially by their male assailants. The occurrence of sexual offending by women inverts this enduring assumption and poses a considerable threat to the credibility of the feminist paradigm. The persistent belief that this phenomenon neither exists nor warrants our attention has made it difficult to move forward. That's that's probably a more challenging quote, but I have to say I I agree with a lot of that. Um, In a previous life, I worked on support for people who were victims of domestic violence and uh, the difficulty, but the animosity directed to any attempt to recognise male victims of domestic violence from some quarters was really very striking and quite upsetting actually and I think it was because the narrative was always women as victims or not women as victims actually that's not fair women as survivors of domestic violence Mm. and the need to offer appropriate support to women who had undergone this terrible experience that part of the narrative is absolutely right and fair uh, but also seem to lead on in in some in some quarters to a sense that the opposite couldn't also be true that you no know, men could not be victims of domestic violence that if they said they were they were lying and if maybe a handful of them were well so what uh, and actually you know that there were bigger issues to worry about and shouldn't be diverting resources into worrying about those cases because the the problem was far greater for for women and actually I'm not entirely convinced that we know how much bigger the problem is for women because just as we've been talking about the fact that uh, female crimes in the private sphere may have been unnoticed through history I think there's also a significant sense particularly given our broader understanding now of what constitutes domestic violence including coercive control the picture of who are who are victims and who are perpetrators might not be as clear-cut as we'd like to think. So I looked up the statistic a few days ago and this is an American stat so it's not necessarily going to be directly applicable to the UK I think 
we do have similar cultures and it's enough to give cause for thought. The rape of men is underreported by 96%. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me, to be honest. It's terrifyingly huge, I think. Mm -hmm. Given that we've already discussed that men aren't socialised to talk about their feelings, I just wonder how many men are out there really struggling to come to terms with that. And then what effect does that struggle have on their mental health, on their partners, on the people around them who probably don't know what's going on? And I th it seems to me that there's probably a huge amount of untreated trauma in the male populations but I've, yeah. I've also experienced that denial that men can be victims as well. In a previous job, which I will not name, women where I was working were asked to tweet out a particular tweet saying something like, as a woman who works in XXX, I believe there should be no sexual harassment in the workplace and something else, a, a link to something. Mm -hmm. So we were discussing this on our, our work Slack channel and I can mm -hmm. say, oh, I don't. I don't really like the wording. I might change it to as a person who works in XXX. And I had another woman leap down my throat about it. Women are the most victims, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, but men also suffer sexual assault and they suffer sexual harassment in the workplace as well. And I just got yeah. told, you need to understand more about intersectionality and blah, blah. I was like, there's got nothing to do with intersectionality at all. I mean, I do think women's voices have been silenced for so long, and it is absolutely right that we are speaking about this. And mm. I do think it's still right that the majority of funding goes to women. But I think we are very, very far behind on allowing men the same kind of voice to talk about these experiences and places to seek help. If you look at the show notes, I shall put some information in there. Now, I know I have lots of international listeners, so I will not be able to put ones for every single country that people listen from, but I can point people in the direction of some resources. I think as well, one of the things that I find difficult about this is almost the idea that women cannot be perpetrators. Mm. You know, this idea that women can only be victims. In the book, Female Sexual Offenders, there's one case where they're talking about a woman who admits to her GP that she's abusing her kids and she's sent to a psychologist, but social services aren't brought in, which seems like a natural next step. And it's absolutely right. She's sent to somebody, but then years later, the family is being investigated for abuse and it's the husband who's being investigated and the wife is there going, no, it's me, it's me. And they're not listening. And it amazes yeah. me, somebody can be that, up front and say look I'm doing something yeah. and obviously what they're doing is wrong but they're wanting help and they're asking yeah. for help and nobody's really helping yeah absolutely I mean it's, it's massively damaging for everybody concerned both in in those kind of you know real world scenarios where somebody is someone you know there's a victim of abuse here uh, and that abuse is being allowed to continue because even when somebody's asking for help then that issue is being ignored or, or they you know they're being given help and support and of a psychological nature but forgetting that actually just because this person happens to be a woman and maybe you know looking for help uh, that there is some kind of sort of some more benevolent way of looking at the abuse that means that the children themselves don't need to be taken into care or given some help or some protection from whoever it is who's abusing them um i mean it's also i think it's it's damaging to 
to men who feel they can't talk about abuse that they've suffered um, because it it contradicts this version of masculinity that we're, we're supposed to believe in. And to to women who are denied agency and who are told that they have to be the victims. You know, this is their your role in life is to be a victim and to you know, always worry about what might happen to you and to remove yourself from public spaces and to um, be careful about what you wear and to not speak out of turn and all of the rest of it. Because if you do, then, you know, you're you are going to be get yourself into trouble. And it's just it's such a limiting an unhealthy environment for people of both sexes. I think it is. And I think it just damages that next generation who's who's growing up seeing these dynamics and thinking, well, this is the way it is. This is, yeah, no one's going to believe me. Might as well not say anything. And yeah, so I finished on a rather dark note. What have you learned today, Claire? That it's... Uh... I mean, this, it, 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 some of this stuff is quite difficult to talk about, isn't it? And yeah. it's hard not to find yourself moving into generalisations um, when that's, you know, the last thing that you want to do and talking about things as as male patterns and female patterns. And, and then I guess that's something that absolutely every element of our socialisation from a young age reinforces in us, from our clothing to our toys to the way people talk about us to, you know, the kinds of behaviour that you're... Uh, expected to display um and I, th- I suppose it's I mean looking at this from the perspective of crime is is interesting because it's such extreme behavior it either conforms to or challenges those stereotypes in such a direct way uh it's a very I think very you know really interesting way of looking at, at those different stereotypes and and what they tell us about the restrictions that we place on ourselves and on other people. Yeah, I think it's a multi-layered, multi-dimensional topic, isn't it? And there are an awful lot of interesting seri- female serial killers out there that I feel like I need to learn more about. Definitely listen to Criminal Broads by Tori Kelfer. Um, mm. She stopped doing the podcast for the moment because she's working on a book. My particular favourite is a woman called Pulan Devi from India who basically became like a mini warlord she was amazing so I totally want you to listen that will be my bedtime listening (laughs) I might not sleep but it'll be my bedtime listening (laughs) so I think my takeaway for International Women's Day is that women need to be allowed to be bad and not just a little bit naughty in a sexy way that men like but we need to be allowed to be killers and abusers be allowed the agency to be awful people absolutely yeah absolutely the the full range of human experience is open to all of us whatever sex we are thank you so much for having this conversation with me claire thank you i've really enjoyed it and thank you for introducing me to some amazing sounding books as well i shall be looking at those up so thank you well if you're going to buy them do buy them from the true crime fiction bookshop You have been listening to True Crime Fiction, the podcast that is feeding your addiction to all things crime. You can find our website at true-crime-fiction.com, on Twitter at true underscore crime underscore fic, on Facebook and Instagram as True Crime Fiction. Please rate and review on the podcast app of your choice. Music is by Kitty Kitty Meow Meow. Every time I mention a book, I'm showing it on my screen to Claire, but nobody else can see this. Um, but what I'm going to do... That is a very striking cover. Is it, 
is it those, are those dolls on the cover yeah. oh, my, oh my goodness they, it's a very creepy cover this yeah and it's it's not any dolls it's those old kind of porcelain faced victorian very kind of big eyes tiny little rosebud red mouth but all of the faces have some kind of damage on them like it looks like you could definitely use that for a horror novel or... I mean, it's quite horror isn't it really yeah, yeah. I should say, actually, I have a phobia of dolls' parts, so it's actually particularly upsetting to me. I'm sorry, and there's me like putting right up to the camera so you can see it in detail. (laughs) My sister used to chase me around the house with a doll's leg when I was a kid. Honestly, it's a very very traumatic experience. (laughs) I can just imagine your parents being like, fuck's sake. Yeah, my mum thought it was hilarious. Uh, yeah. Explains a lot, really. 